Sorry to bother you, but we have to come and tell you how much we really enjoyed the show, didn't we, Gus? <laughs> oh, thanks. We're not mental or anything, so don't be afraid. My name is Wayne, and this is Garth. Nice to meet you guys. So, do you come to Milwaukee often? Well, I'm a regular visitor here, but Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. I think one of the most interesting aspects of Milwaukee is the fact that it's the only major American city to have ever elected three socialist mayors. Does this guy know how to party or what? Re-re-reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. This is Ruined Childhoods, and we have made our way to the Midwest on our cinematic journey across America. On this episode, we are in the land of Lincoln, despite our 16th president having been born in Kentucky. This state is best known for its nuclear power plants, the first McDonald's, the bean, and deep dish pizza. Many movies take place in this state's most populous city, such as Bad Moms, Bad Teacher, Bad Santa 2, and the Sean Penn Bad Boys, but not the Will Smith Martin Lawrence Bad Boys. On this episode, we're in the second most populous city in the state, Aurora, Illinois, home of Stan Makita's Donuts, the Gasworks, and a haunted amusement park. Oh, and it's the filming location of the hottest public access show around, Wayne's World. Welcome to the Wayne's World episode. With me, as always, is my brother Dan. Party on, Dan. Party on, John. <laughs> Party time, excellent. I am, I, I've been so excited to do this episode. I feel like uh, it's a long time, 215 it- episodes in, we're finally getting to it. Yes, but it was one of those where like we were just waiting for the time to be right and the stars to align. And of course, as we're on our road trip through America and we're going through Illinois and perhaps avoiding Chicago, but not the greater Chicago metropolitan area, the home of of pretty much every John Hughes character. Right. Yeah. Can't can't really talk about. You have to at least we have to we'll, you have to at least acknowledge John Hughes as we're talking about Illinois and avoid and not talking about a John Hughes movie, but talking instead about Wayne's World. Sure, I mean, just staying on the John Hughes topic for a second. Uh, Shermer, Illinois. Shermer, Illinois. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Shermer. And, yeah, and. You know, to pick just one John Hughes movie to cover to represent the state of Illinois almost feels like you're not giving the whole collection of the movies the proper due. So uh, you really do have to go outside of that area. And I know Aurora is not too far from, uh, you know, Chicago, but it's it's at least its own city. It's also... And something that I like about Wayne's World is that it it makes a point of placing the value on Aurora 
and not just wanting to be make it big in Chicago, but to make Aurora big. And the, as they say in Wayne's World too, put it on the map to put Aurora on the map. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the I've only actually, I've actually only been to Illinois one time, and I remember uh, being out in the Naperville area, which is a suburb of Chicago, and seeing the signs that, on the road that said like, you know, Aurora. 10 miles you know things like that and i'm just like oh my god i feel like wow uh how many people can uh, you know i I guess prior to uh, the 90s be like excited to see aurora illinois for pop culture reasons right yeah it's uh, but now i mean i imagine amongst a, a certain group of people mostly probably in our generation Aurora is it's not not necessarily a destination, but I'd imagine that a lot of people going to Chicago, if they have the opportunity, might take a little side trip to Aurora just to say, hey, I've been there. I've seen what it's all about. Unfortunately, it's not like there's actually a Stan Makita's Donuts there or the Gasworks or Comrades if we're talking Wayne's World, too. Um, But it would be cool if those things were you know did exist after the movie came out you know to <laughs> pay homage so to cut the to the chase pop-ups we're gonna have pop-ups uh, uh, you know i love doing yeah. a pop-up restaurant uh but this I, would be like a pop-up city it's like you you've got all the different elements to it but we're not there yet we're not there yet oh i'm all like i'm all like why don't i'm all like yes let's jump into that like yes make make your city an aurora <laughs> yeah little what, aurora why not Little you know Aurora. what? Buy up, buy up like a ghost town. You know, one of those places where it's like, you know, there's there's bad soil, so nothing can grow there. There's no connecting roads. No one wants to be there. Just find this like weirdo dump of a place, and for like one weekend, I guess that's kind of like a fire festival situation waiting to happen. It kind of is, <laughs> though. Though it gives me an idea of, of, of. Wouldn't it be great? And this is. It becomes more of a now a Westworld situation, but where like, it for a week each month, it was a town, a different iconic town, from oh. from a movie. Oh, that'd be so. Fun. I mean, because then that way you've got like a good three weeks to and you, and yeah, I mean, it would. I imagine that there are people out there who could figure out. How to make it where it's like, okay, it, we're going to make our own. Because it's also not like if you're making your own little Aurora. Like, I don't think anyone's going to care about the geography of like, you know, where uh, the Channel 10 studios are located versus Makita's and all that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you could do that. Like, what are some like Hill Valley? Uh, y- sure. Yeah. Like actually go to like go to the soda shop or. It depends on which it could be Hill Valley of you could do Hill Valley like three times a year. Really? Yeah. You could do I old mean, West Hill Valley. You could also do. And I realize that this exists in a very small form, but a Twin Peaks, you know, like a full more than just the R&R diner tweeds as it right. actually is known. But like have an intentional Twin Peaks village pop up. Right, uh, yeah, a real great northern, you know, like a, right, yeah, yeah, a great northern that on the inside looks like the great exactly, northern. exactly, and and having stayed at the the mm-hmm. Snoqualmie Lodge, uh, a, aka the Great Northern, 
I can attest to the fact that inside it looked nothing like it, but it, yeah, it it is quite something to be on the Angelo Badalamente score and and to drive through uh, the Snoqualmie Falls and and just through that area, which of course yeah. the town of and not to get on a Twin Peaks tangent here, but I think the actual like town the town of Twin Peaks geographically is located in the eastern part of the state. I don't I think they established that in the the like the showtime sure yeah return like the, the the season 3 which I I thought was fantastic. I loved it. It was great. Yeah. Uh, I I think I think they established there uh, or or possibly in the movie actually I think it was in Firewalk with me that they established that uh, it, it's actually closer to Spokane. But... I need to give Firewalk with me another watch. It's, it's been worth while. watching. I watched it again after the the, the return. return, and it yeah. is definitely worth. It's it's worth coming back to. It's especially worth coming back to when you when you're not like seeing it for the first time and like having some expectation that that's not going to be met. It's better yeah. to watch it again. But like, it's a lot of the really weird stuff that happens in the the return is also in the fire walk with me. So there, there we go. Our, our twin peaks. Well, tangent. we can save that for our Washington episode for right sorry, now. We're that's, on our that's, Illinois episode. That's a, sorry. Uh, David Lynch is a character done by a different Canadian comedian who likes to do characters and put on wigs and prosthetics. Give it a moment. Give it a moment. No, no. Martin short in Jiminy Glick. Uh, goes in La La Wood. He's he he's David Lynch. It, like uh, I think I've only seen La La Wood once, and that's when I definitely had to rewatch because I love Jiminy Glick. Oh, it's it's one of those I will chuckle every every single time. I feel like in order to be in show business at all, you need to have a David Lynch impression. To be able I, to do the voice. You have to be able to talk at a... It's almost like doing William Devane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very close to Devane. Uh, so when I lived in Los Angeles... Maybe when I, I do it, I don't know. <laughs> when, I, when I lived in Los Angeles, I loved listening to a now-defunct radio station, Indy 103.1. And, uh, okay, the, the, the morning show was amazing. Was it Handsome uh, Dan? No, it's not Handsome Dan, uh, not Mr. Scream, but we did have Timothy Oliphant doing the sports, and we had uh, uh, David oh, Lynch doing I, the weather. I remember this, yes. David Lynch did the weather every day, and it, I loved it because it was just like, it's a high of 74 degrees, very still. He'd always say, very still. And I loved that. That is very lynch in yeah he's a fascinating and uh, i guess i said we were done with the david lynch tangent but i, I guess not it, it, another interesting addition here is that in, in a roundabout way we received a gift for our uh younger younger child who's 19 months old from david lynch it is <laughs> So my wife works, I will just say for a corporation and, yeah. and for a found for their foundation and has had dealings with the David Lynch Foundation. Like oh. they've done a lot 
with cool. the David Lynch. In fact, one someone, one of the, I think one of their CEOs was like a, did transcendental meditation like with David Lynch. Um, so I was, imagine how thrilled I was the day that we got the gift from the David Lynch Foundation. And Amazing. that I was just like, oh God, in some small way, we we got a baby gift from David Lynch. And I'll take it. Yeah. But let's talk about a different director, <laughs> Penelope Spheris. So, yes. Dan, uh, it's well documented. This is really Penelope Spheris's first, like, you know, narrative, uh, you know, comedy. Of course, later she does like Black Sheep, and you know, she she's around. But, uh, Dan, have you ever seen The Decline of Western Civilization? I have never seen it. No. Okay. I, so the, uh, have the you? De- I'm guessing okay. you have. I watched part two yesterday because part two is the metal years, which I believe is why she was brought on to, to direct this. And Dan, holy shit. It's so good. Yeah. This, the way that she plays with form for documentary, you know, giving different, uh, you know, metal stars of different, I don't know if, places in their career you have a lot of like the really young ones who are just kind of starting out and i mm-hmm. uh, don't know where their future's going then you have aerosmith who's been around for they're already sober at this point and then you've got uh ozzy osbourne and you have lemmy and you have kiss and it's uh it's fascinating to watch them uh just talk about their lives in 1988 you know, we we know now where things have gone with a lot of them, some of whom are still very active. And uh, the the way that Penelope Spheris actually orchestrates the interviews is really cool because it really goes against form. She uh, she has them set up as you know, some of the especially younger ones are just against a generic colored background. Some of them are at a club somewhere, but we have uh, Gene Simmons who's just standing. Uh, in a lingerie store next to a rack of lingerie as like women are shopping. And we have Paul, we have Paul Stanley in like a bird's eye view shot and he's laying on a bed with three women in lingerie. And they're just kind of like on all on top of each other and placed just perfectly. So it's amazing. We have Alice Cooper who's, you know, he's like on a stage with a, you know, uh, a tombstone and like a bloody doll, you know, head and everything and being perfect. And and also him being like this incredibly articulate, well-spoken gentleman. And we have Ozzy Osbourne and he's like in a very small, quaint looking kitchen and he's cooking himself breakfast like eggs and bacon. And he's got like this uh, this glass kettle that's on the stove and it's like boiling and the steam's coming out and he's speaking and what he's saying is very poignant and uh more articulate than we are used to hearing him nowadays but it just goes to show you like you know this this guy is not just the the person that we saw on the osbournes there's a lot more depth to him like he's a very thoughtful person and uh I know that the Osbournes have a podcast now and I've seen a lot of like video clips from it. And it's just like, I feel like he's more kind of with it and uh, it's a lot of fun to kind of see their dynamics, but he's amazing in this interview and he's just wearing this like robe with like an animal print on it. And he's like 
he pours like at one point he pours orange juice into a glass and it just clearly spills all over the table but he's just you know doing his thing and uh it's so clear why penelope spheris was kind of plucked from the documentary world to do Hmm. a movie about headbangers i you know she knows that world i i think that it's like you know a lot of people can do a you know a comedy movie that's taken from an snl sketch uh that's popular you know this movie's gonna do well no matter what but it's gonna be great with the right person behind the wheel and for that you really need somebody who understands this subculture and uh, it shows Uh, and i Clearly, I love it. I if yeah. I don't know if we're gonna have any video poster from this, but right behind me, I've got a, a little crucial taunt poster. I'm wearing a Del Preston T-shirt, uh, which we'll get into when we talk about Wayne's World too. I yeah, Dan, do you remember when you first saw Wayne's World? Yeah, and I'm fairly certain the first time I saw Wayne's World was the first time you saw Wayne's World. I'm pretty sure we went like I I think like we went not as a family uh-huh but like i think it was there was like a vacation from school because i think it came, it came out february 92 well according to my crucial taunt poster i know that says july 25th 1992 but i don't know if that's based on anything uh no it came out february 14th 1992 oh happy and valentine's day so in indeed and so I don't know if it was just like it was still playing a, f- a few weeks later when we whatever it was, we were off from school, President's Day, whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I'm pretty sure like we went like mom took you, me and Scott, our brother. For those listening for mm-hmm. the first time, we are we are yeah. brothers. Hence the reason why I referred to someone named mom. And yeah who's our mother. So and much like, works. and much like Wayne at the time we lived with our mother. Yes. Yes. Though, uh, none of us were, uh, were in our twenties. None of us had another option. No, no. <laughs> Legally abs- speaking. Yeah, absolutely not. No, this, I was a freshman in high school. Yeah. And I remember, uh, I remember seeing it and I remember enjoying it. I remember it was it was a big thing and you know the Bohemian Rhapsody was just like just that scene and that song and it it like McQueen kind of blew up again. Yeah, that song was number 2 on the charts after Wayne's World came out and that song had come out years before 1975. Yeah. yeah. Uh So it's yeah, it's amazing. It's and Mike Myers right. just had the the vision that that was the right song. To, it's well documented. Well, that, well, it's all also also but also well documented that he did not think the scene was going to work. Didn't think oh, the yeah. scene was funny and like really fought about I there's it's not news that that he clashed with Penelope Spheris uh, a lot. Maybe not a lot. That might be unfair, but that they definitely had their creative differences. Some of it stemming from the fact that, as you said, she understood this headbanger world and yeah. he actually didn't. He well, didn't really yeah. come from that. So not he, as much. She she was immersed in it. Yeah. She, you know, he based 
the character, which was a Second City character of his before SNL. You know, he based it on people that he knew uh, in Canada. And uh, I know that, like, you know, he, he was saying that Bohemian Rhapsody was the song that he and his friends would headbang to in the car. And mm-hmm. uh, um, I watched a... There was this thing that happened in 2020. Do you remember, Dan, do you remember 2020 and how weird it was? Oh, the year 2020. So the year 2020 was super weird. And uh, on YouTube, there was a, uh, a, a show that Josh Gad did called reunited apart. And it was like through zoom. And what he did is he reunited casts from movies. Right. And he did one for Wayne's world. And, uh, it was amazing the people that he got on there. Uh, Dan, to give you an idea of, you know, of course he had Dana Carvey and Mike Myers and Penelope Spheris, but he also had like a few of the associate producers. He also had the suck cut guy. Not, nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, that guy... Had- yeah, yeah. That, that guy, that guy's been around. That guy uh, has has done a lot. Yeah, I know him. I remember him best as Steve, the reporter from the West Wing. Oh, really? Yeah. Charles Noland. Yeah. And so it's like <laughs> even like small characters like the guy from the suck cut, suck cut commercial. Um, you know, Ioni Sky was there, of course. Uh, right. You know, people that you kind of forget are even in it because she's only in the very beginning. Uh, so it was really great to see everybody come together. Uh, Steven Tyler and Joe Perry. Uh, were kind of ones to introduce things. Alice Cooper was there. Alice Cooper was great because he made, you, you remember 2020, everyone was crazy about Zoom backgrounds. He made yep. his background, oh, yeah. he made his background that like Delaware, like postcard from when they do the, hi, oh, I'm in Delaware. I'm in Delaware. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Alice Cooper is amazing. Alice Cooper is amazing in this movie Alice Cooper just in general seems to be amazing. I don't every new thing I learn about Alice Cooper makes me think he's more amazing. So other than the fact that I'm not a huge fan of his music per se, right. I am a huge fan of 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 Alice Cooper. Yeah. Was he I, his scene yeah. his his I would I would venture to say that upon first seeing the movie, and I I I liked it when I, I remember liking it, but didn't love it but the alice cooper scene i think was my favorite scene Uh uh-huh that and i love the terminator 2 reference because okay i love terminator 2 so you know how i love when movies reference extremely current movies from that time yes so to give a little bit of context uh, Wayne's World came out only seven months after Terminator 2 came out. And I'm sure that, like, you know, trailers and there was press behind it, but, like, they were on top of it. Wayne's World 2 has a beat, right? <laughs> or are we going to get to that? Well, I was going to say, Wayne's World 2 came out only six months after Jurassic Park came out. Is that what you're right. going to talk about? Yes, that is yeah. where I was going with that. Uh, uh, amazing. Just, but, but, yeah. Oh, sorry. Continue. Oh, no, I was going to say, like, oh. it's not uh, crazy to think, like, oh, Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park are going to be movies that kind of last with us forever. But it is kind of taken a taking a big 
swing to, you know, reference those in your movie because it could very well date your movie and make it feel like it's frozen time, but it, it, it holds up so well because I mean, those movies are some of the greatest movies ever made. Well, and it also, and I, I don't know if, if, if this is again, putting the cart before the horse with this, uh, this conversation topic, but in, in Wayne's world too, we also have an extended parody of a movie that came out 26 years earlier as they uh, spoof the graduate. Oh, oh, in the end of Wayne's world too. Yeah. So, and what I was thinking with that was, I was like, I, I was like, if I, if, if I showed this movie to like present day teenagers, how much of it would they, how much of it would they get? How much of it would they get because they understand like nineties culture? Cause like they've studied it. Sure. Yeah. And how much would they just not like, like would they, how many of them would like, I got the graduate reference at, yeah. at the time when I saw Wayne's world too, but I'm pretty sure I did, too. And it's like, there's no reason why I should have. I think that it was maybe just more part of our collective consciousness. Yeah, well, it's our fault. Well, it's collective consciousness, which I feel like there was a lot more of that for movies where there were just some movies that everybody knew. I don't get the sense that we have that as much anymore. I don't think that that's something that uh teenagers today could really identify with though i don't know i might be wrong i think about movies that came out so let's say 20 uh you know i like maybe 1999 and i was like well you you could probably could make a a matrix reference but yeah i mean if there's just a lot of hype behind something right like there's some things i'm like I'm like, what could, but then again, it's also like there were all those like scary movie type things that came out in the early 2000s and like they have, everyone's got a parody scene of American Beauty and like the the plastic bag and the kid with the video camera. And like, that's not gonna, that has not lasted. (laughs) What I think that what Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2 both do really well. I mean, first of all, they're so tightly written. And you, as soon as it begins, you are in it and yeah. it keeps you engaged every second of the way. And uh, the references to other movies come and go very quickly. The graduate one in Wayne's World 2 is a bit of a longer stretch, but also could exist on its own without it being a reference. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas, you know, seeing a dinosaur in the very quick moment that that happens in Wayne's world two, or, you know, the T 1000 walking to the car, you know, that's over before you know it. And uh, if you catch it and know what it's all about, then it's great. But I think that because it gets in and out of things so fast, it's, it's okay. If something maybe didn't hit the way that it's meant to in 1992. And there are also so many great comedies. And I I think most of them come prior to this that make references but work on their own blazing saddles sure blazing saddles is a movie that i saw like 
dozens of times before I ever watched like High Noon, which yeah. I think Blazing Saddles makes some some reference to. Uh, but talking about Mel Brooks, it, you look at Blazing Saddles and that's a movie that that works perfectly fine without getting any of the, the parody, really, and just getting it in a, in a broader sense. Whereas I don't think high anxiety works unless you have unless you're familiar with Hitchcock. And I don't think that high anxiety worked for a lot of people just to begin with. Right. Well, I mean, it worked for Hitchcock. <laughs> It worked for Hitchcock. It worked Dan, for... Right. Yeah. Should we do a, a little synopsis oh, for... I've got one for each Wayne's World, but for let's anybody just do them both. who... Do you want me to do them both? Yeah, sure, I'll do them both. I, I think let's just do them both and talk about both of the movies. In it's fine. I kind of wrote them so they flow from one to the other. Okay. Perfect. A public access television show in Aurora, Illinois, catches the attention of conniving young television producer named Benjamin, who sees the show as a perfect marketing stunt for a chain of arcades. The show is called Wayne's World, and it's hosted by two aimless 20-something headbangers, Wayne Campbell and Garth Algar. Wayne oozes with personality and is seen as a leader by his peers. His charisma is as magnetic off-screen as it is on, and he is quite easily able to woo Cassandra, the singer and bass player for an up-and-coming band, Crucial Taunt. Wayne doesn't just charm her with wit. He also, learns, he also learns her native tongue seemingly in a matter of days. However, Wayne is also quite insecure and feels threatened by the men who enter Cassandra's life who could offer her more than he can. Garth is the perfect companion for Wayne. He's nervous, insightful, and technically savvy, frequently inventing gadgets and exercising advanced computing techniques. When Wayne publicly hum humiliates the show's sponsor, he's fired by Benjamin and damages his relationships with both Cassandra and Garth. But with the right amount of humility, Wayne works on righting his wrongs to get back at Benjamin. Moving on to Wayne's World 2. One year later, Wayne and Garth move to a warehouse loft converted from an old doll factory, first of all. That sentence is just a delight to say. It's there that Wayne is visited in, dr in a dream by a spiritual guide who brings him to Jim Morrison, who's, Jesus Christ, this is so nuts, who says that Wayne's life calling is uh, to put on a concert. He tasks Wayne to go to London and find legendary roadie Del Preston to make it happen. Meanwhile, Cassandra is cutting her first album with hot producer Bobby Kahn, who doesn't like Wayne very much. Also, Garth is exploring life outside his parents' house and meets a sultry temptress named Honey, who just may be too good to be true. I, I mean, that's basically it. Well, yeah, and, and, and there's another example of, like, the whole, the whole thing with the quote-unquote naked Indian and Jim Morrison. Okay. Yes. If... How many people have seen The Doors? <laughs> well, and, I don't think that you need to have seen The Doors to enjoy what's going on there. I, I really don't. Because I hadn't seen The Doors for years after I saw Wayne's World 2. And I enjoyed it all the same. I of guess course, when I'm you thinking... see The Doors, it gives it another level. But you don't need to have seen The Doors to really enjoy what's going on. Yeah, I just feel like because the doors was still in the, like part of the zeitgeist. That yeah. movie, I mean, even though that movie wasn't like a huge success, it it did really find an audience, and it, yeah. it was marginally successful, and especially Val Kilmer's performance. Uh, 
yeah. very highly regarded. Uh, speaking of SN, speaking of SNL movies, I watched MacGruber the other day. Oh. Well, uh, yes, Val okay. Kilmer, absolutely a delight in that. Ab- absolutely. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I just when I saw that scene, I wondered again, like, all right, if I show this to somebody, you know, today, if you showed it to somebody today, what they're gonna think is. That representation of an indigenous person is awful and right. uh, shameful. Yes. So I think that that's going to be the focus more than anything having to do with the doors. Right. Though I think if, but if you've seen the doors, you understand the connection with Jim Morrison and. And the whole sequence in that movie and again, him like seeing the accident as a child, which I don't even know if that really happened. But in that in the doors, there's context for it in. Right. So I think that and I'm not saying that like Wayne's World 2 is great cinema. I love Wayne's World 2. I'm wearing a Del yeah. Preston shirt right now. Yeah, I, Wayne's World I think it's great. I think that it is a truly remarkable movie. Yes, it does have the. Uh, indigenous representation problem that's in different discussion we'll get to that uh but i think that with all you know media whether it is a movie or a book or something that you're going to revisit throughout your life it changes as you change and uh, i think that for a lot of movies it's not just noticing different things but it's also like who you are as a person makes you maybe identify with different characters in a different way. And maybe you just kind of interpret things differently than you did when you first saw it. And I think that that could be said for Wayne's world too, just in the way that you understand the references and as references, because it's entirely possible to watch that and not know that it's a reference to anything. And that it's just a strange thing that happens in a very surreal movie. Which is set up perfectly in Wayne's World One because that's a very surreal movie. He opens up a door to yeah. where there's people training, like in a James Bond movie, for no oh, reason. Yeah. Yes, it's yes, completely bananas. No, it's it's my question is more of a which, like, at what point do the references take away from it and get and get confusing? because of the the missing context or the missing familiarity that's all i'm just i'm i'm kind of speculating about like and i feel like you'd get that more in wayne's world too because like like you had said earlier a lot of like the the t1000 thing you know it happens and then it's over but we keep coming back to jim morrison and it's i love it i like I love it. I love the Sammy Davis Jr. part. Fantastic, yeah. but like there are some cats I gotta hang with. Yeah, <laughs> Sammy, wait up. Uh, also the the whole uh, and and but there's also other things that like you don't need to get you don't need to know who Rip Taylor is or like was. I'm to, still to, not hundred percent certain who he is. <laughs> Okay, so Rip, there is a genre of celebrity yeah. that came up that existed primarily in the '60s and '70s, and these were celebrities that just were. It was like they it was were him, him, and like Charles Nelson Riley. 
I imagine that he was on Hollywood Squares a lot. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Charo. Sure. Like they, like they, they're maybe famous did for being famous. Yeah. Right. Yes. They're, they're, uh, uh, yeah. So Rip Taylor, uh, who's hilarious. I, I love him in this yeah. I, when he's talking about Jim Morrison and, uh, yeah. I, I see him as more of a crooner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they, no, there's so much about, and there all are also so many really clever bits that, I, that do work and even though they they might be uh, they they might toe up to the line i really don't think they i don't even uh-huh. actually think they toe up to, i'm thinking about like the kevin pollock the uh it, uh you know we'll make sure we cross all the t's and dot all the lowercase j's yeah which is which is what i do in my teaching job when i'm telling kids to do review their day. i say make sure you cross all your t's and dot all your lowercase j's and that brings me to a discussion about the lasting legacy of some of the lines in these movies. And I'm not talking about things like Schwing or Party On or saying not, because those are uniquely specific to Wayne's world. But crossing your T's and dotting your lowercase J's lasts and lives on its own. You are not the only person I'm sure who does that. I'm sure I've done it too. But also, this movie is the genesis of the the joke. That's what she said. Right? Is yeah. it? Is it the genesis of it? Is it? Is it? It is. It is. I mean, I'm sure that perhaps Mike Myers had said it before. Maybe in another friends. I don't think he said it in a sketch. At least I couldn't find no. it in any sketches that I watched to prepare for this, which I enjoyed doing. But. He certainly said it in the movie when uh, Garth is holding up the poster of, is it Claudia Schiffer? Yeah. And he's Claudia like, Schiffer, yeah. can I put this down? I'm getting tired of holding it. That's what she said. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, you know, I heard that. And I mean, like, I did not think it, it originated with The Office. I, I, there might, may, it might was, be people uh, It was did, given but... a, a, a boom in popularity from The Office. Right. Yeah. But- but was this the original from everything that I've seen? Yes, it is. Nice. Isn't that great? I, really, I, I enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I like that. Also, fact. I'm, I'm, I don't even care if it's if it's actually true. I'm just going to accept it's, that. As it's true. So another thing that I want to mention is that there are even lines in uh, in these movies that aren't even jokes that have imprinted themselves onto my psyche and I know that this is something that I shared with like our brother Scott, and maybe you and I have said this together before, but like anytime I hear about somebody named Anthony, I go, Who's, Who's Anthony? Anthony? Who's, Who's Anthony? Anthony? <laughs> My yes. drama. Yes. Like it's not even yes. a joke. It's not a joke. It's just no. a though it's just a funny moment in an amazing movie. And Wayne's World also tapped into those things that like people notice but didn't but but never really acknowledged the camera one camera two thing sure. like closing yeah. one eye closing the other yeah uh also but also the way that that the movies use film and the wayne's world and wayne's world too doing bits like that or the well you know how it goes first they tell a friend and then they tell, they two, tell friends, two friends and then and they, they friends. Yeah. and so on in fact, and so I, on I actually just I just did I kind of did something inspired by that in a very different context uh, in a production that I was directing that was using multimedia and was using slides. Oh, and it yeah. was a section. I was say, how, was else, a, how do you do that in theater? Sure. Multimedia. 
Yeah, no, it was it was slides and it was a section where all of these reporters keep coming on and keep adding on. So I had on the slides, it just kept popping up more and more of these little boxes of little like reporters on location. Yeah, it's it, it's ins- brilliant and yeah. it works and you're in and out of it in no time at all. But it lasts uh, an incredible but- impression. It's universal, and it's the look, gags like jokes like that are the are the type of things that don't rely on period specific knowledge. They are endless. They endlessly uh, appealing. I have one more thing to add to that, and then I I want this to kind of uh, lead us into a discussion, uh, kind of going back to representation, and it's a very ah. strange way to get into it. But the I think that one of the funniest jokes in any movie ever is I'll have the cream of some young guy. It is so funny. They're ordering Chinese food. Wayne makes that joke. I certainly didn't get it when I first saw the movie. But believe me, as soon as I (laughs) was old enough to understand it, I thought this is the funniest joke ever made. And in that, um, it was was brought up in that Josh Gad show from the weird year of 2020, uh, where he asks about that line. And he was, and they were saying like, first of all, they had to add in a moment where there's no dialogue because they wanted to leave room for people to laugh in the theater and not miss anything. And so that's why you just see Garth like laughing about it. And... (laughs) They had an alt line for it in case they couldn't get away with saying, I'll have the cream of some young guy. And it was, I'll have the cream of some guy hung low, which is what <laughs> so good. It's so good. And I think that what the Wayne's World movies do in, an, in a really tricky way is they do get away with, uh, I guess, playing with language stereotypes and it's like it it doesn't work with other people and uh, in some cases it doesn't work at all but you know casting Tia Carrera and giving her this role of this complete badass in Cassandra Mm -hmm. and giving us this moment where uh, Wayne very respectfully like learns Cantonese and has this conversation with her. And I, uh, I know that like they worked with language coaches and when they have their conversation in Cantonese, they were very careful to make sure to get everything right and be very accurate and respectful. I, uh, in Wayne's world too, it's kind of towing a line when, you know, he meet Wayne meets Cassandra's father and they have their their dialogue in Cantonese that moves over into uh, being dubbed in English, and uh, which first of all, big shout out to James Hong, just oh, the well, absolute greatest yeah. always for being Cassandra's yeah. dad. But you know, and they do their their martial arts kind of duel, and it is it's tricky. Well, That's where things again, get a little tricky. Yep. Again, they're they're it's a dated reference. They're yeah. they're parodying those seventies, you know, Shaw sure. Brothers. Because it's parodying uh, the films and the way that the films were dubbed, it's kind of like okay, but also it's but like But if you don't have uh, that context though. But if you don't have that context, it doesn't work that great. So No, and you know, yeah, it's yeah, and troublesome. 
Yeah, it is troublesome. And, uh, you know, especially coming off of our last episode where we talked about smoke signals and how important representation is for the indigenous people of this land to have the, as they say in the movie, weird naked Indian as the spiritual guide. It makes it, you know, hard to watch these days. Um, There are certainly bigger offenders, but it's like, uh, I wish that that would have been done differently in in hindsight. Right. Yeah. And I mean, Larry Sellers, not Larry Sellers of The Big Lebowski, (laughs) but Larry Sellers, who played that character... You know, he's done a lot of work in similar roles. You know, he was a very similar type of thing in Like Father, Like Son, which we've covered on this podcast. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he's done a lot of things like Walker, Texas Ranger, and uh, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, where, you know, he does play a lot of these stereotypical indigenous characters. I mean, that's what was was available for the longest time. Yes, and I will say he is in Killers of the Flower Moon. So I still haven't seen it. I'm excited to see it, especially I'll be on the lookout for him uh, because it's like I think that looking at his career, it's almost like this is the journey of how far the representation has come. Um, Right. Not to say that Killers of the Flower Moon is some perfect example of representation, but it, from everything I hear, is a really big step. You know, Martin Scorsese is obviously an Italian-American and uh, not claiming to be anything but that. But any, you know... He, he, he's not exactly... Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, um, although I, I, rem- I did read that the the focus of the movie uh as as he was researching the the true story behind it the focus of the movie went off of the the FBI because yeah. that's one side of the story is you know the the FBI uh and focused more on the Osage tribe right. and, and the yeah. the Osage people and so I I haven't seen it either. I'm I'm really from what I understand, forward. it's handled with respect. Yes, and and yeah. that's all I all I can really say. Not having seen it, right? But but and for an actor like Larry Sellers, who's come from a time when it was if you were an, an indigenous actor and you wanted to work and this it's it goes back Hattie McDaniel uh you know said this yeah said the same thing but and it was like all right well I'm gonna I'm gonna do this the best that I can and yeah. and I'm gonna do like represent the be- people the best that I can it's nice that the that there's this moment now and and I I, I don't want to actually I heard moment and don't want to call it a moment because it should be something that that is ongoing. But this change, yeah. um, this evolution where we are seeing much more realistic, well-rounded, dynamic representation of mm-hmm. I mean, marginalized communities in, in general, but especially indigenous people. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so and and I guess, you know, in in this conversation, we should also there's also kind of the uh i don't know i guess misogyny factor and i'm thinking speci- specifically with the character of stacy 
Sure. It's like, unless you're Cassandra and you are a woman, you are dumb or you are a problem. Or a quote unquote psycho host beast. beast. Yes. Right. And we, Absolutely. and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of talk that was casually thrown around at the time that now we know is, is minimalizing and, uh, is disrespectful of yeah. someone's identity. So a hundred percent, a hundred percent, especially someone who probably, uh, you know, has, has some unresolved problems like, like Stacy as yes. played by the wonderful speaking of twin peaks, Lara speaking Flynn Boyle. Peaks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all that said, the gun rack scene is genius. Ah, gun rack. Ah, the pronunciation of ah. Yeah. Like as I can't even do it the way he does it. It's it's it's, it's Canadian. Perfect. <laughs> yes, it's it, that this is true. So hey. uh, a couple of things that I wanted to uh, point out. So first of all, Ed O'Neill, who plays the 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 manager of Stan Makita's Donuts, uh, he was in a Wayne's World sketch back in I think eighty nine. Um, and he played a very cynical high school driver's ed teacher. And right. it's like the blueprint for his character in, <laughs> in the movie. And I love that Ed O'Neill is, you know, part of this fabric. He was part of Josh Gad's thing. And it was so great to see him, especially next to the uh, the suck cut guy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he was fantastic. So uh, another thing that I love is how Wayne and Garth, yes, they're they're these headbangers. It's never at all indicated that they are into alcohol or drugs. No. The, the only thing you see them consume are coffee and donuts. Like they they just are part of that subculture. Garth has the big blue drink when they're oh, out with yes. Benjamin. You do see them have that one beverage, that uh that fishbowl. And I, but they are also completely philosophical and they frequently reference philosophers and Mm -hmm. uh, it's just one of those like weird things where it's like, oh, on the surface, you just see these, you know, guys who like to say party on and excellent and everything and say swing to posters of Claudia Schiffer but then they like bust out this super philosophical thing. And there's this one line that I loved from uh, from Garth when there's the whole sequence at Stan Makita's where he's talking about his dream woman, the the, the woman who works there, um, who has no identity other than dream woman or whatever. And when he so before the whole like foxy lady dream sequence, uh before I think Cassandra says, why don't you go talk to her? You know, Wayne has done his whole thing of just like, I say hurl, if you blow chunks and if you spew and she bolts, it was never meant to be. If you blow chunks and she comes back, she's yours. He says, I'm not ready yet. I got to be comfortable with me first. Yes. And that's a line that slips through the cracks because it's like right after this whole thing about hurling and then this foxy lady dream sequence kind of thing. And it's just him being very in touch and, and, you know, self-reflective and, uh, you know, saying things that 
people go to therapy for years to try to to like figure out for themselves and he just comes out with this thing like that's sandwiched between these two hilarious moments in the movie but i love that very he's very you see this in wayne's world too especially but he's very childlike well dan what we learn in wayne's world too is that canonically speaking during wayne's world one he did not have pubes (laughs) <laughs> correct <laughs> you didn't tell him about my pubes did you uh of course not oh my god that's so funny and that's like in the trailer too i watched the trailer yeah. and I was like wow that was a trailer moment <laughs> yeah absolutely oh yeah and garth finally yeah. got pubes such a weird moment um and also you know because i watched a lot of uh the wayne's world sketches so the in the movie We talked about this before. We meet Alice Cooper and he goes into this whole, you know, you you see one thing, you expect one thing. But then he goes into this whole thing about uh, the origins of the name Milwaukee and the (laughs) Milwaukee, which also is showing respect to the indigenous culture in the in the area. Absolutely. Uh, Certainly have to notice. Certainly have to to mention that. But uh, when they are interviewing in an episode that also features Tom Hanks as Aerosmith's roadie uh, oh, in yeah. interview where they interview the band Aerosmith. They ask a few questions just about like being on the road and what it's like to be a band. And then he asks them he, about their uh, views about the potential fall of the Soviet Union. And Steven Tyler goes into this very well thought out, very articulate, uh, you know, essentially like thesis on what could potentially be happening. Cause this is, I think 89 or something, you know, what could be yeah. happening for, uh, you know, the Soviet union. And it's tonally the same joke as Alice Cooper's, you know, different subject matter, but the way that it's kind of like, you see one thing, you think one thing, but then they kind of give you something completely different. And it, it makes these, these headbangers, these metal guys, seem like it makes you forget that like all the things that you thought about people who look a certain way like you think like oh they're just dumb you know drunk rockers they don't have any real thoughts and certainly those are scripted moments but yeah i I think that we've come to realize about especially like alice cooper it's like yeah it's just a real guy who you know he looks a certain way for the effect of it all you know, he's, this is he's a what car- this putting is on a character. Some, something he figured out works for him. Yeah. Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, and and by the way, so just uh, to to go back to the, uh, the that that joke, among others, we have not mentioned and absolutely should be giving some credit to Bonnie and Terry Turner. Absolutely. Who, were writers at SNL who mm-hmm. also co-wrote the screenplay for Wayne's World as well as Wayne's World 2. Yeah, I, I believe. believe so. Yes. Yeah, uh, with Mike Myers. With, with Mike Myers. Yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely absolutely genius. And I mean this is one of the earlier Saturday Night Live movies. I mean Blues Brothers was the first. Well, I think Blues Brothers, so I was thinking about this and I guess officially Blues Brothers is the first, but I don't know how much of a part like Lorne Michaels had in yeah. Blues Brothers. And it 
it also uh, does not, it was not until like one of the VHS re-releases that they had the Blues Brothers standing against a vaguely sky-like background. <laughs> As we've so- talked about before, uh, SNL movies, uh, the, the posters from the, the cover art for the DVDs and VHS tapes, it's the main characters against a blue sky with puffy white clouds. It's that I way mean- for Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, Coneheads, uh, it's Pat. Stuart Saves' family maybe has no. that. No, it's just him no. holding the the, wor- the weight of like the world on the his world. shoulders. Yeah, the weight of the world, right? But yeah, it was. Uh, so Wayne's McGruber world was, does I not think, have it either. F- no, the superstar. Uh, neither superstar kind of does. Kind of. There's no, a blue background. It's a blue no. background with white, but it's not sky and clouds. And the the late does the ladies? I don't think the ladies man does. Oh yeah, the ladies either. man. Night at the Roxbury does not. No, ladies, man. So I guess it's really just Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, Coneheads, and it's Pat. It's Pat does it, right? No, actually, I don't think it's Pat does. I think it's Pat has a white background. But also, it's Pat wasn't a Warner Brother or a, a Paramount production. So, oh, you know, it's right. just Pat against a question mark. And I love oh, how is it really Wayne's just World... Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, and Coneheads? I think it is. Okay. But it's still fun. I love how Wayne's World <laughs> opens with the it, it opens with like the the Paramount logo, but the the music that uh-huh. you didn't get on most Paramount movies. And I always associated. I was like, oh, OK, so it's a comedy. So it's got it. But then was it like Fatal Attraction that also had it that like dun, 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 oh. dun, 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 <laughs> as like the stars are flying in around the mountain. So I always thought it was just for comedies. And then I think it was something, something like fatal attraction that also had it. And it was like, well, that just doesn't feel right. <laughs> <laughs> so just real quick, I know these are not SNL movies, but uh, Tommy boy and black sheep both do right. have the blue sky, white puffy clouds, black sheep having been directed by Penelope Spheris as well. And those were Lorne Michaels. They were Lorne Michaels. It was SNL cast members. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, speaking of uh, in in Wayne's World, this is also it. It I believe it is the first Rob Lowe comedic oh, yeah. turn. Sure, and yeah. definitely the prototype for his part in Tommy Boy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he nails it. He's he's a great villain to the wacky main characters. Oh yeah, he's he's wonderful in this. But he's a, I would say, an, uh, a Lorne Michaels regular, or has become a Lorne Michaels regular. A- and Christopher Walken as well, who's hosted Saturday Night Live many times. Yeah, um, you know, talking, bringing up this Josh Gad thing again, but uh, they were talking about Rob Lowe making his comedic film debut in this. And, uh, you know, he mentioned, like, you know, he had done Saturday Night Live and he was in... Uh, I think one of the other like Mike Myers sketches and Mike Myers just like, it's like, Oh, he can do comedy. He gets it. And uh, they even mentioned how somebody even said, I think Penelope Spheris was just like, didn't he just get in trouble? And <laughs> Rob Lowe was just like, he's like, yeah. And that's why they could get me so cheap. You know, that was like right. Lauren Michaels was just like, well, he'll be cheap. <laughs> so I, uh, yes, yeah. I've heard that. I've heard I've heard that before. And to say that Lauren, Rob, and to say that Rob Lowe got in trouble is a bit of an understatement. He's a sleaze bag. Moving on. Yeah. Yes. 
yes. So you, you've got Rob Lowe, Christopher Walken. Uh, who, oh, yeah, Brian Doyle Murray. Brian Doyle Murray as uh, as Noah. So good. Colleen Camp as his wife. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Lee Turgeson, who pops up as right. uh, one, one of the guys, the one who always says, I love you. You know who I love in Wayne's World? Can we just, can we talk about Kurt Fuller? Uh, okay, Kurt Fuller. But Kurt Fuller, so good. He's such a and great, especially, like, scumbaggy lackey. But his turn is so his, great. And, and it felt even more rewarding because I watched Ghostbusters 2 recently. Oh, yeah. He he's perfect. He was so great in that. I was thinking recently, it's like, man, I miss Kurt Fuller. Like, right? You know, the that, great Kurt Fuller yeah. roles. I uh, yeah. no holds barred is another one. But I love Kurt Fuller's his turn in this. Another uh, one of those wonderful lines that is you can just use again and again. Like Benjamin is nobody's friend. If Benjamin was a flavor of ice cream, he'd be pralines and dick. Yeah, praline and dick. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. And Kurt, but Kurt Fuller in that scene is like, no, oh, Benjamin's my friend. At, at the end, that also reminds me of you know when they're talking about how uh, Cassandra's a babe, and uh, if you know she was a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln, and then uh-huh. Wayne goes like, uh, she would be called La Renard, and she'd be hunted with only her cunning <laughs> to protect her. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you're talking about Lee Turgeson, who's amazing. I also want to give a shout out to Michael DeLuise, uh, son yes. of Dom DeLuise, who's just another one of the crew guys. Um, oh, but he's know. great doing the countdown. Was he doing he's the countdown funny. or was that Lee Turgeson doing the countdown? I think I thought it was Lee Turgeson. Oh, oh, no. Michael DeLuise is the one with the camera when Colleen Camp is oh, standing yeah. over by him. Yeah. It's like, you know, do I scare you? Do, do I you scare want you? me to? No, uh, yeah, Lee Turgeson might not be the one who requested the hand job, but he's the one who got it. <laughs> uh, also, a joke I maybe didn't get when it first came out, but then as I grew older, I grew with the movie, the movie grew with me, and it, boy, oh boy, is that good. Meatloaf as Tiny, the, the bouncer yeah. at Gasworks. Um, Chris Farley as Farley! The, yeah. Chris Farley. Two different who, roles. <laughs> two different roles, two different movies. He plays the uh, the security guard that knows way too much about Frank Sharp's uh, <laughs> whereabouts and his, uh, his travel plans. And then also as the, the roadie who has a really bad relationship with his father <laughs> in Wayne's world too. <laughs> who, who's also another, another one of those really quick references that you don't need to get is the, the, I got no place else to go uh, reference to officer and a gentleman. When you know, and I don't think I ever realized that that was a reference to that. At but first, it, I but I love it all I the same. Oh yeah, no that no that's one of those references that you, like I absolutely don't need to yeah to because it's Farley being Farley. And yeah, yeah, it's Chris Farley being just the greatest, and uh, and yeah. Oh, and and uh, and was Ralph Brown who plays Del Preston? Oh yeah, talk Wayne's World too, dude. Shout out to that guy. Oh, that's my old lady. <laughs> uh, obviously, Christopher Walken is so good. Um, we also have, you know, Kevin Pollack is amazing. Kim Basinger, so good. Uh, mm-hmm. As Honey Hornet. I We've got Drew Barrymore as Bjergen, Bjergen Kerrigan. Who, yes. Uh, 
I think that that um, for me was just like a girls are pretty moment, you know, growing up in like 1993, 94, I was just like, what are girls? After seeing Bjergen Kjergen from the Schmjergen Fjord. Bjergen <laughs> Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And I mean, are we going to, we keep going down the line here. Charlton Heston. Yeah. As the, the, the better Hest actor. The better actor. Ted McGinley in. as Mr. Scream. Love Ted McGinley as Mr. Scream. Uh, Tim Meadows as Sammy uh, Davis Jr. Uh, Bob Odenkirk and Robert Smigel as the geeks. The geeks backstage. Harry Shearer as... Harry Shearer, Handsome Dan. uh, Handsome Dan. We've got the gin blossoms. No, they're... Oh wait, wait, wait! Oh, they're getting closer every time. Uh, that uh, when they he's not paying any attention to what they're saying in the interview. Yeah, yeah, uh huh, uh huh, uh-huh. and uh-huh. and oh. I forget what it is that they say, but oh, hey, and he jumps yeah. in their classic, cla- another SNL veteran, uh, Harry. That's Shearer. true. You know, I'm yes. I'm looking at the cast list right now on Wikipedia, and I didn't realize this, and this might not be true. I have no reason to believe that it isn't true. But, you know, when they're in London and there's the whole bit about how Paramount wouldn't actually send, like, it's amazing that Paramount actually sent us to London. It just shows the backs of them and they're clearly, like, weird heights and everything. Dan, do you know the comedian Rich Fulcher? Uh, no. I think that if you saw him, you'd be like, that guy looks familiar. Oh, no, he's very, very funny. Rich Fulcher is great. And I guess he plays Garth's body double when they're in the London scenes. And uh, yeah. yeah, for anybody who's a Rich Fulcher fan, that's uh, that's I guess some interesting trivia. I had no idea he was on the Mighty Boosh. Mighty Boosh was a big thing for him, um, right? Being the American in the Mighty Boosh, but he's yeah, yeah done a ton of uh, voice acting. Um, just a comedy guy. He's just a comedy guy who's been around. So that's interesting because that predates a lot of his other work. So that's. Oh, Jim Downey is the dubbed voice of of Jeff. Warren. Right, Jim Downey, yep. the SNL head writer. So, and then cool. as part of as part of Aerosmith, uh, not sorry, Bradley Whitford. Not no, Brad just Whitford. regular Brad Whitford of Aerosmith. Yeah, that's a damn shame. I thought I learned something. I thought I learned something new and awesome about Bradley <laughs> Whitford that he was in Aerosmith. I would love to. That would I would buy a ticket to go see Aerosmith if if Bradley Whitford was. Uh, was playing with them. Yeah, right. I, I was really big into Aerosmith. And I don't know if it was because of Wayne's World 2. I definitely had the Wayne's World 2 soundtrack. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, right around that time, I mean, Aerosmith was big. So to say that it's because well, of yeah, one get, thing or another. Get a Grip was uh, get was a grip. big. They were making, yeah. yeah. I mean, not really a comeback because they were, they had hits going through the 80s and 90s. I think that they just were getting a different audience at the time because their music was being used in like Mrs. Doubtfire and, you know, a lot of more family friendly movies. So I think that they were just getting a a new audience around that time. Well, also, and, and the, the videos were huge. The, the Silverstone, Liv Tyler, Liv Alicia Tyler, Silverstone yeah. videos. Yeah. Like, yeah, I remember the, like those were really big and and get a grip was I mean, that was just like a, a hot time for music. And well, not like 92, 93, but also and the actual CD of this is seen in Wayne's World, too. But the like Aerosmith greatest hits album, that's like the red cover. 
yeah. that was huge. I feel like everybody yeah. had that. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. They they sent it to houses with uh, samples of Tide. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was that year's Frampton Comes Alive. Um, another amazing joke from the first Wayne's World. <laughs> Ab- absolutely and a, and a joke that is it, that's one of those that i'm like like uh, i didn't really get that but it's funny and it makes sense to me sure I mean, it was like, look when i was like 12 i found i would laugh at dennis miller and i didn't understand dennis miller's references i just knew they were funny or they was they sounded funny i don't think anybody to this date has ever understood fully a dennis miller reference but he is truly the king of references yes david cross yes I I remember when I was in uh was I in like sixth or seventh grade, something like that, I saw a tutor and it was just because I was like, you know, not good at school. And uh so I saw this like tutor and I would, you know, read books just out loud in her presence. And she was like, You can read whatever you want. And I don't know, did I get this from the library? Did you have it? And I just like got my hands on it but it was like a dennis miller rants book and oh, yeah hold on <laughs> do you have it like in the shelf behind you but i was like you know uh 12 years old 11 years old and i was like reading this out loud to this lady uh and her golden retriever but uh so anyway dennis miller it's not like i ever understood any of the rants fully but I did love. Oh, you're holding Dennis Miller rants right there. That's probably the very copy. It might. It smell is the like, very. It's probably got uh, Oreo and Cheez It stains from my grubby little fingers from when I was eleven. Uh, I definitely got this at one of those like discount bookshops that we would stop at <laughs> on the way down to Sea Island, Georgia. Oh my god! Over the summer. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but I did love Dennis Miller's stand up. I even if I didn't understand all of it. And granted, he his persona was different at the time than it is now. Although I'm sure that if I read some of those rants, I'd probably be like, ooh, he was telling us who mm. he was all along. But be that as it may. Yeah. But still, some I mean, but but sometimes yeah. He wasn't always sometimes he was talking about things that we could all agree on. That's true. Uh, Dan, you know, something else that I was thinking of while watching this. Well, first of all, okay. Did you watch, uh, the, the first Wayne's world for this, uh, preparation on a DVD or did you watch it on max? I watched it on max. Did you notice that something changed? You're looking at me like, no, no, Dan, they restored the audio from when he's playing stairway in the guitar store. Oh shit! He's actually playing Stairway now. They must have like gotten gotten the rights. John, I did notice it, but I didn't notice. I I just thought like you know, I, there was something. I there was definitely something when I watched that scene, and when he played it, I was like, oh, I don't remember him actually playing it or something like that. In in every version of it that I ever remember seeing, I don't know if theatrically it had. Him actually playing that do 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 the the beginning of Stairway to no, Heaven. He definitely plays beginning of Stairway to Heaven. Yep. In the yeah, they restored the audio. It's amazing. I couldn't okay. believe my ears. I kind of want to you know task like our brother Scott to watch it and be like, tell me what's different. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just that scene is. is yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, uh, that's really. Uh, man, it's like, yeah, now that you mention it. Yes, I heard that. And it did strike me. And then you get the iconic no stairway denied. <laughs> denied. <laughs> Not today, my good man. <laughs> I'm feeling <Yes>. saucy. <laughs> I'm feeling saucy. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I also wanted to mention that, you know, I was, um, this came out in 92. So I was nine years old when this came out or I was about to turn nine years old when this came out, uh, it came out a few weeks before I turned nine. And uh, I remember in my elementary school on, I think it was like, I don't know if it was every Friday, every other Friday, but you know, we had a gym, a cafetorium. There was just a, a multi-purpose grand room that became a cafeteria, the gym, where there's a stage where there would be assemblies and plays and stuff like that. And while we were eating lunch every other Friday or whatever, there was a talent show that was put on, you know, there was a staff, like a, a, a lunch lady who kind of orchestrated the whole thing and then people would get up and and do something i remember i like wayne stock (laughs) it's like wayne stock except way it was terrible uh i remember i did a lip sync dance routine to with my with my best friend at the time paul marmo shout out paul marmo wherever you are to the weird al parody of the right stuff the white stuff. Oh, the what? The white about stuff. Oreos. Nice. About Oreos. About Oreos. Yes. Yeah. And so we did that. But the reason why I'm bringing it up now is because there were there were two girls in our in my class who they mostly kept to themselves. They were you know best friends with each other. Uh, they weren't really part of any cliques going on at the time or anything. They were just kind of their own quiet selves. And I remember them being introduced by the lunch lady that they were going to be performing and as i as she said it Wayne's World and what they did is they put on Bohemian Rhapsody and just headbanged they like kind of swayed a little bit and then they headbanged and it's burned in my brain i'll never forget it that and i i love that they it was for for people who didn't know who queen was that's what it was. It was this yeah. moment, this trailer moment from this, you know, very popular movie that like we didn't understand a single reference in it, but man did we love it. Oh, absolutely. Well, there there in that scene there was there was really nothing to to get and it was just the music and it was them headbanging and Phil uh, in the back with the whole let me the go bomb, part yeah. just the the, the, the cherry on top. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, but for that, it was just, you know, men being silly and enjoying themselves and just being their true selves and in, in a way that you don't see a lot of men being depicted in movies. And uh, it's just these five friends on their way to go do something and just completely rocking out to their favorite song. Well, it establishes their characters and really endears their characters yeah. to to the audience. Well, also, it's a perfect example. That song is a perfect example of 
who Wayne and Garth are, it is brilliant. It is very smart. It references, uh, you know, uh, you know, scientists and philosophers, and it, yep. it's an opera of itself. Old but literature. also, it has this like kick-ass guitar solo that you headbang to. Like, it is them perfectly. Them. That's a really that that that's that's spot on. I want to add to that. Yeah. The scene where they decide to pick up Phil is mm. also like really telling about them in that they're, they're like, all right, here's our friend. He's not in good shape. Let's help him out. Let's give him a ride. And, you know, I give you the no spew guarantee. If you're going to spew, spew into this. <laughs> yeah oh well yeah another yeah. another classic line that that one can i mean i'm sure i've said it at some point to someone who's gonna throw up a hundred times are you kidding me yes yeah uh, just such a delight dan we're already well over an hour into this discussion we've alluded to some ideas for things that we would want to do with the wayne's world movies in the Josh Gad Zoom thing, Penelope Spheris says that two times a month people tell her their ideas for a Wayne's World 3. Dan, what is your idea for a new iteration of Wayne's World? And I should say, clear. I will also say, we have had them come back in like Super Bowl ads and different SNL things. So that's that. Go on. I, I, and I really tried to think of a a plot for a Wayne's World 3 the best thing that i could think about is a w- was like a teaser trailer that because uh, the initials are ww3 and it would spoof oppenheimer <laughs> and that's all that was like all yeah. i I had that's my only note is spoof Oppenheimer (laughs) and but but I like what I can say is I would be interested in I just I I I don't know you know John I was thinking about a a plot for Wayne's World 3 where Wayne Campbell does he gets older and he works in in you know TV and as it changes and then he gets pushed out in favor of the new of like, you know, younger and newer. And then it occurred to me, it reminded me of kind of part of the plot of the the Pentaveret. Oh, yeah. Where Mike Myers is the reporter who like loses his job and needs to do something big to get his job back. Because yeah. that's totally the direction I was going in with Wayne's World 3, where like Wayne, maybe Wayne and Garth have have lost touch uh and they they need to reconnect you also don't want to i i guess in in the, you could go that direction uh you want to kind of avoid doing some of the same things that bill and ted face the music did though i think wayne's world i i, I bill and ted face the music it involves so much science fiction and it, different direction yeah not to, they also never like lose touch, and I I see Wayne Wayne and Garth in Wayne's World three definitely not being that like attached at the hip, and maybe they like they're I feel like when we meet them in Wayne's World three, they're normal like guys in their sixties, yeah, who have 
lost who have not necessarily lost but they they've maybe said goodbye to that part of themselves right and i mean look maybe it is uh i'm trying to think of like which band it could be at this point like i feel like aerosmith's like last concert would be a uh like that that's gotta happen um like that that's one of those things that if it hasn't already happened i feel like that's happening sooner rather than later but something like that something that would draw them out we could come back to all the ideas about how now okay everyone loves all these old documentaries about these weird random things that happened a long time ago everything from stuff like Winnebago man to mm-hmm. um yeah you know, other, other things so you you could you could have a plot about that where someone wants to make a documentary for Hulu about Wayne stock. Oh, right. This thing yeah. Wayne stock that like all of a sudden Aerosmith showed up at, in this little town and, and, and played a, played a show. I, I, I feel like that's kind of cliche. And I, I think that whatever, Mike Myers, because I I did enjoy the Pentaveret. I I thought it was I, fun. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. So I I do feel like Mike Myers has some gas left in the tank. Whereas a few years ago, I might I might not have felt that way. But I I think Mike Myers, uh, if if it's something that he wants to do, and also yeah. and and uh, and Dana Carvey as well, and and um. Worth pointing out right now, uh, yeah. we're recording this. It's November 27th, and um, uh, Dana Carvey's son, Dex, just recently passed away. Very, so. very upsetting, and um, yeah, but just an absolute tragedy. We want to, you know, of course, not that, not that, and that Dana Carvey or any of the Carvey family are listening, but just, just in case, you know, sending out our thoughts, uh, to them yeah i as a as a as a brief tangent i just remember dana carvey uh, uh, a stand-up special he did that i really like one of my favorite classic dana carvey stand-up special where he uh, the kid naked time oh and that's he's talking about dex yeah 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 um so but also so yeah (laughs) Um, so of course, uh, you, Dana Carvey, uh, getting him just, just involved. real quick, just real quick, uh, Dana Carvey and I want to, did he, does he have two sons? But I believe that he and Dex, two sons. um, and, and his other son, uh, had a podcast together that was kind of like a twilight zony kind of a, kind of a thing. So, um, I should, I should look up what that was called. I, off the top oh, of my head, can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I forget what it's called as well, but I remember uh, hearing about that. Um, so of, of course, for Wayne's World three to happen, and I've 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 read uh, I read in an, in a couple of pieces that were posted earlier this year that Dana Carvey and Tia Carrera had both expressed interest in reprising their roles. Okay, so it would the, be the the, uh, the podcast was called Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, yes. Wayne's World 3, I don't know I don't know what it would be, but I feel like that it could be something and it could be something good. John, what are your ideas? 
Well, thinking about Wayne and Garth, you know, they they were always playing younger. I think that if I had to assume how old they were, it'd probably be 22, 23 is how old the characters were probably supposed to be around that time. And so you would have to figure that they are in their mid 50s by now. Um, And I do love the idea of a sequel where, you know, maybe Wayne Stock did put Aurora on the map and Aurora, Illinois is just like now like a major metropolitan area. It's a cultural hub because, you know, starting with this one festival and uh, I. You know, maybe it's even overtaken Chicago as being like the place to go in Illinois. And I <laughs> uh, and I I love the idea, you know, it's something that I didn't care so much for about, you know, seeing them kind of bring back Wayne and Garth for different, you know, sketches or commercials or whatever, is that they're still dressed exactly the same. They're just clearly a lot older. And uh, I I would love to see, like, where what would those characters be like now? Like, what would they, how would they be different? You know, how would they have changed with the times? Uh, and there are, you know, ways to kind of bring them back into kind of like the metal world or just like the hard rock world. I think they're less maybe metal and more just like hard rock. Um, in a, in a way that like feels authentic to who they are as thoughtful, like intelligent people. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe Wayne is teaching somewhere. I I don't know. I wasn't thinking plots necessarily, but scenarios. As soon as you started, I was like, what if Wayne is the mayor of Aurora? (laughs) He could very easily be the mayor of Aurora. Um, the the cultural laureate perhaps like you know there's there's something else about him i mean maybe he's also running channel 10 like there are ways that i could see could... garth doing that or garth i think is because he is so behind the scene i mean he's the co-host of a show but like because he's kind of more of like the the brains and less the mouth um, mm-hmm. I could see him, uh, you know, being more of like the architect behind, you know, the enhancements of Channel Ten. But yeah, well, or what if say. Garth, like, what if what if the rift between them is that like Garth left Aurora? What if Garth is working at NASA? Like, why would Garth yeah. not be doing something like I that? I mean, he completely reconfigured all the satellites to beam Cassandra's performance in Wayne's basement. To uh, specifically to f- Frankie, Frank, uh, Frank Sharp's limo. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So why or, or so really Garth would be working for the NSA. So yeah, that actually that's where you'd get your comedy is. Yeah. Garth is Garth's working for the NSA or the CIA or one of those yeah. organizations. Um, yeah, oh, my and- God, it would be. F- yeah, I was saying, and maybe maybe somebody's trying to bring back Wayne Stock and do a uh, Wayne Stock twenty twenty four. What's up? Hear me out. So Garth, you. so so all right. So Garth has left Aurora. He dis he's disappeared. He has fallen off the map. Uh 
he comes back to Aurora for their high school reunion. And he reconnects with Wayne, who doesn't know that Garth is an assassin. (laughs) Who's there to take. And it's an extended gross point blank reference. It's just an extended. He's there to take out Cassandra. (laughs) You know, what's kind of funny is like, I can tell that your perception of these movies is that they are platforms for spoofs of no 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 well that's not just because no not just just because i'm i'm suggesting jokingly suggesting a gross point blank no 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 well first of all why would somebody (laughs) spoof gross point blank i mean we love it but you know well it it feels it's not like a graduate level classic no 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 uh no i don't i don't i i don't think it's just a especially the original wayne's world we could talk about all of the uh you know other platforms of the original wayne's world that were just pure satire the product placement uh scene genius brilliant absolutely absolutely yeah yes uh, i mean there's so many other things that we're not talking about the music like a, a crucial taunt is like that cover they really wail they really wail um the shitty beatles ugh, i've terrible. got the poster right behind me yeah jolly green yep. giants shitty jolly beatles green great name terrible band so you've got yeah i so many you know so many great aspects of this movie that have nothing to do with the the references although there's another reference that i thought thought about that is brilliant and wonderful and i love it and it's the laverne and shirley the laverne and shirley one right how could you forget that which you could have never seen laverne and shirley ever and still just enjoy the fact that they are doing something weird where you're just like i don't get it but i love it i don't know it's hard to say because i knew laverne and shirley going in i mean I don't think that I had ever seen at that point an episode of Laverne and Shirley. Oh, but like must have. Yeah. Not consciously. I know that I've seen it since, you know, having become a Michael McKeon fan, but I think that it was, it was on, I was way more, but I was way more familiar with like happy days. And, uh, I mean, I don't know about Mork and Mindy so much, but like I, was a 90 minute block right there. <laughs> yeah, no, but that's that's a great moment on their way to see Alice Cooper. What are we doing? We got backstage palace passes to Alice Cooper. Right. Uh, right. So good. But anyway, uh, anyway, uh kidding about the gross point blank, but I do think it would be like there are other it's funny though because there are other films that came out in the past that would have been like, it would have been fun if they had done Wayne's world three in the late nineties to see them do something with goodwill hunting. Uh. Yeah. I could have seen a, how do you like them apples kind of a thing. I feel like now, even though there are movies that will probably stand the test of time and be memorable. I don't think that they're worthy of satire in the way that, Jurassic Park or Terminator 2, you know, had these elements to them that could be spoofed in a surreal, self-referential, uh, doesn't fit into any category kind of a movie. Well, and in a broad, in, in a broader sense where they're not being as specific, I feel like anything that you're going to spoof today 
it is going to be very like it like Avengers or or Fast and Furious. It's you know, going to be very specific to that. I thing. feel like, and and this is one where who would have known at the time, but I could have seen them doing some sort of like Midsommar kind of a thing. I you know there are oh, certain movies absolutely. where there are. I could see movies that we have now come to realize have these you know visual elements that are kind of everlasting whether you've seen midsommar or not you're probably aware of the look with all the flowers yes um, or the you know you could the, do that cr- yeah but at the Fight time Club. when it was Fight. coming out right but that was also you know was that 90 99 yeah 99 but that one is still people like high school kids know that movie well, it's too bad uh, Milof is no longer with us. We could have Tiny uh, reprising oh. his role. <laughs> yeah. Tiny had bitch tits. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know if there's anything that you could really do like that's coming out. Like the way that they captured these movies that like probably hadn't even been out yet when they were filming this and just knew right. like you know, Robert Patrick walking the way that he walks and saying, have you seen this boy is going to hit or inst- I mean, Jurassic Park. I think everybody at the time knew what that was going to do. You know, we, right. we all knew like, okay, this is going to be amazing. Our lives are forever changed. This will hold up forever. <laughs> like we all just kind of knew that. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, and I, I actually think that that, kind of shift where that's that if there was a Wayne's world three, that that wouldn't be as much of an option. I think that's good for Wayne's world three. I think, I think a, a teaser, a spoof in a teaser is fine, but to have an action, a movie that's just like a, 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 a straight up comedy. Yeah. About these two character characters. And you could still add that surreal aspect of it but i almost don't want to see that like i almost i i almost want to see like a a a drama (laughs) i I just want to see like a what happened like what when we pick up with these friends 30 years later where are they what are they doing and how does that connect to who they were 30 years ago yeah well in order for there to be another wayne's world movie it needs to have the same spirit and design of the other two where they they break the fourth wall all the time they are telling you this is a movie they 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 have um you know text on screen telling you that it's a gratuitous sex scene or an right. oscar, oscar you know, clip. clip you know yeah. things like that you know it, both of those movies have those elements where it's just like Oh, we're just supposed to walk by here with this plate of glass, and I'm just—I just have to stack yeah. these watermelons, and that guy has got the chickens, and yep, nope, they our just job here is done. It, you know, yeah. uh, you know, those kinds of things can only happen in a Wayne's World movie, and for that to happen, let's say 2024, uh, how do you do that now without it seeming like maybe you're complaining about the way that? movies have to be made now or uh how so many other 
people have ripped off the style that hasn't worked or, you know, like how do you do that in a way that feels true to who they are while still, you know, seeming like something fresh. That's the tricky thing. I mean, these two movies, they came out one after the other back to back, like really fast. And so, you know, the the movie system, uh, yeah, the, the, the movie system was still the same. It's so different now. And yeah. uh, that's that's kind of the tricky thing. Going back to what they could, uh, you know, kind of spoof a little bit. I think it's kind of safe if they were to spoof something from a a bigger director like a Quentin Tarantino or a Martin Scorsese. But like, well, or or like spoofing TV, spoofing like series, spoofing like net Netflix series. If, think they're like some shows like like stranger things yeah Yeah. i think that's more of a zeitgeist thing than like killers of the flower moon this isn't 1988 where like rain man's the number one movie no i was thinking more of just like uh uh, like a like a rick dalton uh uh, you know oh or something not like a serious drama kind of a thing no yeah no 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 i yeah no i i know but uh, because i mean it, they they were able to do that with the doors but it, it's like i think that because oliver stone being as controversial as he was and uh you know taking this movie where it's like this movie is taking itself so seriously we have to knock the wind out of it a little bit <laughs> That is something that could have been done then that like, you know, how do you do that now? And I think that it also does have to do with the sensibilities being different about, uh, you know, movies being made to uh, state a purpose. Whereas for something like The Doors, it's like, this is this, you know, about this band with this guy who, uh, let's say he had this traumatic experience as a child that's completely shaped the rest of his life and uh, i don't know like for a movie like the doors you could do that but movies just are made differently now right and there's less of a like a common awareness of things i think entertainment is is more fragmented and people can kind of silo themselves off with the entertainment that they that and, they like and also it's like maybe you're right maybe oppenheimer is the kind of movie where you could do that maybe it is something about biopics or something that's you know true to life and not focusing on uh, things like the bomb necessarily but the moments of like einstein and robert downey jr maybe you know <laughs> you know that like poking fun at like that element of it rather than i mean uh, looking at yeah Doing the look back at, at Wayne's stock in a similar way that they do Oppenheimer. Yeah. Have, uh, you know, hearings about all of the, the money that, that the city of Aurora lost back in 1993. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's definitely a fun thought experiment. And I'm, I'm curious to know if any of our listeners uh, have thoughts themselves. If you're still listening an hour and 39 minutes into this thing. Uh, please it's email longer us. Than, uh, it's longer than a Wayne's World movie now. <laughs> okay. I know I, I know I talk about this podcast a lot, but the Action Boys podcast, uh, you know, uh, Stanger, Rogers, Gabrus, 
they talk about a 90 minute movie for three and a half hours and it's solid gold every time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. anyway, I, um, I, I'd love to hear what everybody thinks. Please email us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also, um, check out our link tree in this episode's description for some more good stuff. Um, Dan, do you want to tell everybody what we're doing on our next episode? And where we are going, and that is to the state of Indiana, which I believe is actually known as the Hoosier State. Ah. And we will be appropriately watching Hoosiers, the basketball classic starring Gene Hackman, Barbara Hershey, and Dennis Hopper. And uh, have you ever seen Hoosiers before? Never seen it, but I'm looking forward to correcting that this week. I'm and I'm looking forward to talking to you about Hoosiers, a, a rare uh, entry into the sports genre for, for us. Not even a sports comedy here. No, no, that this no. is new territory for us. Absolutely. Well, uh, <laughs> it's going to be something else. And, you know, Gene Hackman does not disappoint. So uh, excited to be to be visiting Indiana and talking about Hoosiers. Well, Dan, as you are traveling to Miliwake, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. Good journey.